Hello, and welcome to the Hobo CEO podcast, where we're talking all things business and entrepreneurship, including the highs and lows, with a sprinkle of neurodiversity for good measure. I'm your host, Shay Wassell, neurodivergent serial entrepreneur, personal and business coach, author, researcher, and most importantly, a mother to one beautiful little human being. This podcast is all about sharing the entrepreneurial journey, as well as tips, tricks, and advice from my guests to help you become the business owner and entrepreneur you've always imagined you could be, and you definitely can be that person. But before we get started, I'd like to acknowledge the beautiful lands on which I live and work, the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and I pay my respects to elders past, present, and to all First Nations people that are listening today. So let's get started. Welcome to today's uh, conversation with Carmel Riley, who is um, a mentor of mine, a business mentor of mine. She was originally um, on the Dyslexic Foundation's board of directors. And uh, that's how we met when I was doing a presentation out in Gippsland. And I met Carmel and thought she was absolutely fabulous and that I had to work with her. And I've had the privilege of working with her now with different projects the last couple of years. So welcome to the show, Carmel. Thank you so much, Shay. We, it has been a few years now, Carmel, since we uh, first met in um, when you came on as a board director to help with Dear Dyslexic. And since that time, you have grown um, an exceptional business in regional Victoria. Would you like to talk to us a little bit about um, the work you're doing now? Yes, certainly. So, Shay, we first met um, through our connection with DisTech, which, um, funnily enough, actually was right at the start of my business journey when um, I started out really on my own, not really knowing what was going to happen. I put a little selfie video on LinkedIn and Facebook and said, I'm available for consulting, and I wasn't quite sure where it was going to land. And very early on, um, I was providing some support to, to DISTEC and thus the Dyslexia Conference and that's how we met. But why it's significant and on my mind uh, this week is that uh, we haven't arranged our celebrations yet, but um, the consultancy has just had its fourth birthday. Um, so when you and I first connected was actually right at the start of that consulting journey. Uh, so... What that started out with, as I said, was was myself um, and what initiated me going into business, um, I will admit, um, was not because I'd always dreamt of running my own business. Uh, I was far from it, actually, but because I was a career-loving parent, I had a real passion for people leadership um, and I had kind of been in early days of my executive leadership roles in the not-for-profit sector and the ability to be the parent that I wanted to be, be the people leader that I wanted to be um, and also continue with the community um, kind of volunteering and contributions that I wanted to give was completely impossible. Um, I wasn't able to give a good version of myself in any of those environments, in any of my personal relationships. Um, and I realised that I really needed to um, change up um, how, I guess, that professional journey um, was shaping. Um, 
And I was also in the final stages of my executive master's in business um, at the time, which for anyone that's gone through that higher education um, journey, it's an extremely um, intense process. So the start of the journey was for that purpose. And and it's always worth talking about, I think, when you do have, um, I guess, a a level of, you know, lived experience. And in, in my case, you know, I, I identify as neurodiverse. Um, but I've spoken with so many founders of social purpose business who haven't necessarily said this is what they'd always aspired to do, but that they felt they had no other choice. Um, and certainly at that time in my life, that's where I felt as, um, as well. Um, I knew I needed to change things up. I needed to be able to continue with what was important for me in life, but do it in a way where I could be more gentle on myself and be a better version of myself across all those different kind of hats that I wore. So that was the starting journey. Um, And it was only a few months in where I was getting to know some pretty amazing people, uh, one in my local community and, and another one actually on my regular commute to Brisbane for the MBA um, and, and got to know these two individuals who were phenomenal humans, extremely experienced and skilled professionals um, who, for different reasons, had been facing barriers to employment. Um, and we had developed incidental mentoring relationships on the way. And it got to a point where I'd run out of ideas to help these individuals get into um, meaningful employment. Uh, and it was at that stage where I kind of was like, well, if we can't get them into the system, maybe I need to create the opportunities for them myself. And and so it was um, very early stages of one of the first um, consulting projects that that I was awarded that I invited these two individuals named Daria and Ibrahim um, to join my consultancy as um, community engagement consultants um, and see what was possible from there. So that was really a testing and experiment stage of what might it look like for uh, a sole operator um, to change up, I guess, what a standard um, sole consultant life might look like um, and create uh, a a small team with social purpose to, to help these individuals with their, I guess, you know, personal professional branding and pathway into mainstream employment or business ownership. So you fast forward now to we've just passed our our four years and we will be having celebrations later this year, so kind of watch this space for that. Um, But we're now a project-based team of over 12 staff. Um, We've had a number of our team members work through what we now realise is a transitional employment model um, so they've basically had the opportunities with our consultancy um, to utilise their skills and be supported to utilise them in new environments, get locally relevant referees and experience um, and I guess rebuild their, their confidence and courage um, and have then either moved on either more substantially within our consultancy business or with external employers or are thriving as consultants in their own right. Um, So it's been a pretty amazing and and whirlwind experience. And and through COVID, we thrived 
Um, and it wasn't that I had amazing foresight that we were going to go through a pandemic. It was the realities of being a career-loving parent with so many things to juggle that the business was always set up to be able to operate uh, remotely or in person. Um, so, you know, thankful really for some of those life pressures that it meant that when the pandemic hit, um, it didn't actually deliver any service disruption to our client base and, in fact, it only grew from there. Interesting to hear that because I've always envisioned and so far that all of my work is done remotely as well and that is partly now, now that I have a child, um, is trying to create that work-life balance and being able to do a lot of it remotely um, enables that lifestyle that now I value and treasure very much. Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny in some ways because I feel like I've gone the complete opposite of really craving for more in-person um, and collegial things, um, whereas so many others in the workforce now, now they've had the opportunity to experience working from home as a choice. Um, it does become really, you know, very enticing. But I think for me that also just is reflective of the fact my kids are a bit older now. Um, so the the kind of everyday um, demands and needs do shift as the kids grow. And so coming out of COVID, have you, are there any things you've needed to adjust or from a business perspective around, you know, reaching more clients or like taking the next phase? Because you've had a lot of change in four years. I mean, a lot of businesses don't even succeed after the first year. So to hit four years this year is a huge celebration. Congratulations. Um, but what it, like that's a lot of change and through a pandemic. Yeah, so there, there has been um, lots of change. I don't know whether I'd attribute it to the pandemic as much as maybe natural transitions of growth within a business. Um, so it was kind of during the pandemic that we transitioned from a sole trader to a company structure. So that was kind of a, a big milestone um, for me. And, you know, the, the most important thing when we did that um, was that I opted to become an employee um, of the company. And even as I had more staff, it was a really symbolic thing for me um, every pay cycle um, to pay myself first before my staff. Um, and I think for those that have worked a lot in business mentoring, it's a really common thing to have really stressed business owners um, who don't have cash flow and are always, you know, needing to, you know, pay their staff before they pay themselves. Um, so it was really deliberate and important for me from kind of a, a self-worth um, perspective and, and a reminder of um, that great analogy, like when you're on a plane and that, that you always get the message that you need to put your oxygen mask on before you put that off your kids. Um, and that was a really important um, ritual for me um, once we did become a company and I became an employee of the company. Um, that And it was because I'm the sort of person that's really, really good at creating broad value for lots of people and it was one of my I guess shortcomings that I wasn't really great at, at holding value for myself um, and why that's relevant to your question is that one of the biggest challenges with growth and, and one of our recent growth transitions was bringing on an inaugural leadership team to support me um, and basically the the 
the um, the things that I'd put in place to enable that cash flow to free up to be able to do that, um, I had to make some hard choices to actually um, cease one of those strategies, um, which has left me right now in that position that so many of my business clients have told me over the years where I need to make um, really difficult choices at the moment of being able to make sure I can pay my staff. Um, and so that's been a really hard thing, but it was a very measured um, risk. And and so one of the, the main um, things at the moment has been around what's the flexibility within our leadership team um, to rebuild what I need to be able um, to receive income myself to be able to support my family, support my team um, in a way that still enables my team to grow um, because we, we're definitely not in a position where we need to um, cease any of those roles, but we've definitely had to think really, you know, creatively around how, how do we get that foundational support back in the business. So what that's meant is that um, we are looking now at different ways of bringing revenue into the consultancy. Um, I was very deliberate, um, so I haven't really spoken to the fact we're a certified social enterprise and and, and what that means, but um, one of the big things for me when I realised that there was a, a very strong social purpose element to the business, um, I right from the start, I wanted to take a very commercial lens to how we operated because I was very conscious of viability and sustainable business from the outset. So what that meant, and I've been really proud to say like over the last couple of years, we were operating up to like 99% on commercial revenue as opposed to being, you know, supplemented by any other means of um, revenue that you might get in a not-for-profit structure, you know, such as donors and sponsorships and fundraising and grants and so forth. However, that has been a change. So um, as part of our social enterprise model, not only do we employ talented professionals who've been facing barriers to employment, um, but we also deliver pro bono or low bono services to um, the startup for purpose sector. Um, and in the past, that was kind of easily done um, in the early days with me giving my time in kind um, or as um, our profit margin grew, we were able to utilise those profits to pay our staff to deliver those things. But as we've got bigger, bigger, the requests and complexity of those pro bono requests have been getting bigger and bigger and it was way beyond um, what, I, what I could deliver alone. So one of those changes now is we have started putting public calls out for sponsorships and nurturing relationships that would be supportive of that. Um, and that's a really nerve-wracking thing for me who's not, uh, you know, I'm, I don't, I haven't founded a charity. Um, so I've kind of very naively and nervously started these conversations not really knowing where they'll land and not knowing how attractive that might be for a potential partner when we don't have any of the benefits of um, you know, different tax concessions and so forth. Um, so that's kind of part one. And part two is that we are looking for more um, 
tender and grant opportunities um, through state and Commonwealth government and a lot more collaborative um, efforts with other organisations. So all of these things continue to push us on how quickly do we grow. Um, we've, we've done a lot of work in the last six months to really understand kind of it, the current state and future state of all of our systems and processes um, to further mature our organisation. Um, and it's not a case of if we get that maturity in place, it's a case of when and, and how quickly we can do that. Um, and that's a really um, interesting time for us at the moment. We're getting a lot more um, invitations to partner um, and we're really conscious of, of needing to grow up more on the inside. But as to how we do that um, is still very much a work in progress. So I guess that's the money side. From a, um, a project delivery side for our consulting clients, I think the biggest um, change from the pandemic is that we are really good at delivering online service delivery and we're really good at delivering in-person service delivery. We do not have the infrastructure for true hybrid engagement um, of any level of sophistication. So we um, have just got really better at, from an expectation management perspective of navigating those conversations with our clients from the outset. Is saying we're real, we can operate in any format, but we would prefer either fully online or fully in person. Or if you really need a hybrid model from the outset, we actually are much better now at being able to understand where we could outsource, um, I guess, the, the, the infrastructure or the particular venues that enable that and better costing that into our um, kind of quoting process from the start. Because I think I think that was a, a key thing to, as we're coming out of the pandemic is people were trying hybrid all the time um, and so expectations have got higher around the quality of what that looks like um, and it does put a lot of stress um, um, when, you know, that that when you are a remote business that, that doesn't have an office space um, to do that well. And we really care about delivering good business um, so, yeah, that, that's just a, a standard negotiation now as well. And there's so many things that are running through my head right now. I should have been writing them down as you were talking. Um, the hybrid model is very interesting and um, it is a real struggle to get that to get that right at the moment. But how have you um, kept the momentum and trying to manage your family and I mean this was a whole purpose around setting up your business was so that you were there for your family and that you could do do the things that are needed within a family which is a lot um but how have you been able to manage all of that and still like the language you used it wasn't if it was when you know really positive language that sometimes I think especially in startups um it's really hard to shift to say know from if to when and it's I think it's really important language that you were using and you're so confident in the way you speak about the business and its growth and um for me listening to you was very inspirational and it makes me rethink about my language instead of if I get that client it's when we get these clients so how have you stayed motivated and 
uh, kept the momentum of growth, particularly during such a really uh, challenging phase of COVID, but in general, setting up a business and keeping it going. That's a lot in that, sorry. <laughs> there is a lot in that. I think that. there's a and... crux of the question is the motivation and the yeah. um, the momentum to to build your business. Um, it's funny. It's a really emotional question actually, so I'm just going to temper myself as I work through that um, because that's it's really humbling to actually hear you describe me in that way. Um because I can guarantee you there are very, very many hard days. Um, So one of the things I'm really proud of is that there were really strong foundations to this business from the start because I, I clearly knew that I needed to have a business that could operate without me for periods of time. And my absolute driving motivation from that at the time was I've got three kids, um, three kids within um, six years, and school holidays are really, really hard work, really hard work. And so... My goal right from the outset was, well, I need to set up structures so over time I can build up the amount of time I'm away from the business and it can still run. So the early tests of that were like you know, a couple of days and then it got to a couple more days. Um, and then I was like, and if I can nail this, one day I'll be able to take my sabbatical, write my book, all my world travels that I want to do, you know, um, and I still stand by and I'm very inspired by individuals like yourself who has got their first book out. My book will come out one day and gee, it's going to be a hell of a story, um, but it's not there yet. But that was a really um, strong motivation um, and there were lots of factors to that. A, childcare and outside of school care and school holiday programs are ridiculously expensive and were not an option for us. And, and, you know, it is important to note that when I started this business, you know, we'd come out of really a period of, well, actually we hadn't come out, we were right in the middle of a period of financial distress that, you know, that sliding scale of middle class, we, we were hovering really, you know, low down um, just due to the nature of young kids due to the nature of um, interstate relocations and, you know, career choices that hadn't necessarily played out how we'd intended and never really understand how much it costs to have children. And so when I started, there was no, there was no buffer, no capital, no anything. So having kids in those sorts of environments just wasn't a financial option for us. Um, But equally, two of my kids really didn't cope in the childcare, outside of school care um, settings. It just um, didn't go well for them. So I, I, I had motivations of I, I want and have to be around and available for them. So that was one motivation. The next piece was actually, I guess, in retrospect, it was building the capability personally to run my own business, but I just didn't know it at the time. 
And that was the journey of going through my executive MBA. So I studied at QUT in Brisbane and I don't have enough praise for that particular program. And one of the biggest reasons for that praise was because of how seriously they took the the understanding self component um, of an executive leadership journey. So over the two years, they wove in um, you know, leadership coaches and business mentors and a number of self-development um, subjects, which was a little bit uh, ironic in a way because I have done post-grad in family therapy and one of the reasons I didn't do my master's in family therapy at the time was I just wasn't prepared to de- delve into all of that family of origin um, stuff that can kind of be a little bit traumatic, um, but I didn't escape it. it. Is what I'm trying to say that that exec MBA really pushed me to learn so much um, about myself, and it's one of those things where we have to develop ourselves in terms of our own personal leadership growth to have any potential um, to be able to to serve others. At Rethink Dyslexia, we are doing things differently. As a global leader in creating inclusive environments for adults with dyslexia, our commitment is to provide individuals with opportunities to live healthier, happier and more connected lives. Through our range of tailored services, including coaching, learning and development programs, consultancy and training, we're helping dyslexic individuals, businesses and organisations to better understand and support their dyslexic employees. So if you're looking for insights, inspiration and expert advice on dyslexia and how you can provide inclusive practices and environments, then head to rethinkdyslexia.com to find out more or book your free consultation today. So one of my biggest learnings out of that exec MBA was actually one of the gaps, even though it was a brilliant course. And part of that gap was that everything we learnt around leadership theory um, and the practicalities around that didn't include a trauma-informed lens and certainly didn't talk to um, any level of neurodiversity or anything like that. Um, I had a business coach at the end of that MBA through that program and within (laughs) 30 seconds of being on the phone with him in our first meeting, he asked me whether I'd had an ADHD diagnosis. <laughs> and um, I was so taken aback and maybe on the verge of being offended at, at such a comment. Um, but it, it sat with me over the years and I actually more and more recognised um, that new neurodiversity in me as I was going through a whole lot of learning for my kids and advocating for their needs. And then, of course, you share some of these developmental things with your family and then your dad goes, gee, that that describes me as a kid. Um, and so it was actually through that parenting journey that the neurodiversity lens came in. And it still does answer your question around motivations and so forth because one of the biggest changes that happened in me um, was actually an ability to be compassionate with myself an ability to recognise the ebbs and flows of my energy levels and rather than fight them and chastise myself about them, I learnt to work with them. So I learnt that 
when I get hyper-focused with something, like literally nothing will stop me. Um, And then I will have periods where something's happened and I might be hiding under the covers. Um, And so the the biggest influence of that is that my mindset changed to how can I prevent my, you know, my less good attributes, right? How can I stop that from happening? Um, to, to being able to reframe it and went, well, when I have one of those moments and in the past it might have wiped me for six months in all honesty, like my functioning would go that low. And I was like, wouldn't it be cool if that disruption only lasted a week or so? Um, and so there was something that was extremely self-compassionate and beautiful about being able to recognise the strengths in the, the fluidity of my energy levels and be okay with that. Um, and actually then when I was in those high energy levels, I could make the most of it. And when I was in those really low stages, I would be aware of it, be okay with it for a period of time because it was serving a purpose. <laughs> it was protecting me from something. Um, and then actually holding myself to account and going, okay, you know, we've been down for a few weeks. What do we need to do to get back to a good level of functioning? Um and so that is really emotional for me. There's so much underneath that that we won't go into. But that actually was a really important um, factor for my ability to lead others was that leading self. Um, and literally from day one of the consultancy, um, building in, you know, a clean psych um, function into my costings because I knew I was going to be working in really hard spaces I knew I'd be hard on myself. I knew I'd be struggling with family. And I also knew I'd be supporting others in quiet, um, experiencing these periods of vulnerability. So right from the outset, I was like, I want to have a trauma-informed approach to the practice that requires me to look after myself um, so that I can look after others. So I hope that kind of, you know, gives you... um, my magic formula and otherwise it was just around getting different circles of support for different parts of the the business as well um and forcing myself when I sometimes find social interaction really hard even if I come across as being good at it um I I learned about creating those those different circles of support for different parts of who I am and and so those communities of people have just they just keep me going when I feel it's too Hard. I think you've touched think- on so many fantastic points and I've only just started doing this business series podcast, Neurodiversity Business Series, and um, it's really interesting to learn different people's strategies around self-care and, you know, how important it is because we um, we get so caught up. Like sometimes I'm at my desk from 7.30 till 10. I think I spoke to you one day and I'd been at the desk. And that's for three days, I was absolutely exhausted. And I was like, I can't can't work like this because it's not good. Even though I'd taken time out to be with Ava and to make sure she had dinner and do all the, the mother stuff, the business stuff just didn't stop. And so I think it's really important and good to hear different people's strategies because I know that I'm really bad at it as soon as I like this morning I was awake at six and I was at the computer because 
was like, what am I going to do? I can't, I don't want to disturb Daniel. So I'm going to jump on the computer and start working. But it's like, it's good to listen to other neurodivergent people and their strategies around how to look after themselves, because I think we can get so caught up in what we're doing, that taking those breaks and acknowledging when we're tired. And I mean, for me, I have to have sleep. And I know that's one way that I make sure I have self-care is I go to sleep early. And um, But it's good to listen to your strategies and to raise those points around, you know, because if you're not looking after yourself, you can't look after your business, you can't look after your staff, you can't help your family. And it is that oxygen mask analogy. And because we tend to be really harsh on ourselves, that ability to be gentle on yourself is so much easier said than done, but it's a really, a really, really important mantra. Um, and that's sometimes where your community support can kick in if you're finding it really hard is to have kind of accountability buddies that go, do you know what, you have full permission. If you see me doing that thing again or you see me stuck in that negative self-talk, can you let me know? Um, because sometimes we don't we don't see it. Um, you know, and the downside of, of the neurodivergence thing in terms of the multitasking abilities, um, it's not great all the time. Like I was so excited about a new um, collaboration that's getting going at the moment and so on. One of the many communications I slack was this channel and I had my phone, you know, sitting in the bedroom last night. I had the family come home and, you know, we had to fit in the after-school stuff, the work meeting, getting dinner prepared, then a kid to basketball and all of the things. And without even realising it, I was moving between the kitchen cooking and the bedroom um, on this Slack channel trying to get all the key information out I love doing a video or an audio clip rather than typing, but my phone was, you know, like the, the battery, the storage was at capacity, nothing would work. And I was there fluffing around and, of course, came out and I burnt dinner. And I got so upset at myself because I was like, I'm better than this these days, but, I'm, you know, we all have tastes. And I just had to laugh it off and my daughter didn't notice the burnt taste in the bolognese. <laughs> we're okay, we're okay. Um, but, I, but what I've got good at is when I realise I'm doing things like that, I, I will literally have times where I have to turn off the phone and chuck it in a high cupboard that I can't reach um, because I can run, and I do have more than one business, I, I can run all of them from the phone um, basically and that's a good thing but also your worst enemy some days. Um, so we all definitely, you know, um, have days where despite all best intentions, you still, that multitasking is not your best friend <laughs> all the time, but sometimes it's amazing. Yes, but you're right. And the phone for me is terrible. I have to make a conscious effort that after a certain time, I just put it down because, you know, you could be sitting on social media posting till the cows come home. Um, or doing bits and pieces that you haven't got to do during the day. But I think one of the, um, what you touched on before about a clinical psych and actually embedding that in the costings was uh, fantastic because in all the all the conversations I always have it as around mental health and that I've always had um, a psychologist or a counsellor to support me. Um, but I hadn't thought about putting it into my business costings. I've put my cleaner in. But I hadn't thought about psychologists. And I think, you know, that's a really great strategy. One, to make sure that you go because it's in, you've put the, the money is there for it. Um, but also as a business person and, all, and as someone that's neurodiverse, the need for a psychologist or a counsellor I think is so important. And um, I'm really 
appreciative that you raised that topic because um, I couldn't uh, I couldn't get by without having that external person that I can say whatever I want to and it's closed and private and it, that's okay. Yeah, <laughs> and and you know I'm someone that really believes in whole of life integration. So what I mean by that is there's so much energy being spent going at what time am I the consultant? At what time am I the people leader? At what time am I, you know, the director on duty dyslexic? At what time am I doing the scoring at the kids' basketball? At what, you know, like all these different things. And for me personally, I couldn't segment those parts of my life and do well. So I actually learned to embrace the red hot mess of that. And that's actually been part of the success. I think, you know, um, perhaps that, you know, for those where they need to segment those different parts of their life and the different hours of their day and and so forth, that really works for me. I tried so hard to fit that model and it just was making things worse and worse. Um, so it's not to say there's not a time and place for that, by the way, but, yeah, I certainly just learned you've got to mix it all in and that's what works for me. And so with, um, you know, with those consults with my psych sometimes they'll be heavily business focused other times they will be seemingly unrelated but the reality is when you're the founder and ceo of the business of course they're related because if you're if your mind is dealing with one of the other complexities in life it's so hard um you know to focus on the business so that i'm 100% not apologetic at all for that and i would recommend it to be honest for everyone to actually be building that as standard practice. And, and I also hope that it provides a good, um, you know, modelling to my kids around mental health and mental wellbeing, um, that that's not something to be ashamed of and it shouldn't only be a last-minute strategy. Um, it's actually something to, to embrace because life is complex. It just is. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, one other thing that I think was a key part, um, Shay, um, of maybe the motivation or, or success that you talked to of the business was a really important reframe from what I want to achieve to how I want to live my life. And it was really simple words, but I was going through a time of early parenting where I was angry and it was, you know, postpartum anxiety and mental health things that I didn't recognise at the time. And all I wanted was peace and calmness in life. And I actually found that when I could capture the how I wanted to live my life, everything else around achievement just started falling into place when I took the pressure off. It has to be an achievement. And so many clients I've come to where they're like, I, you know, they, they talk about um, wealth um, and I um, did amazing training called Bridges Out of Poverty and it, it does inform a lot of the work that we do. And that taught me about all the essential resources we need to navigate society to, to have a, you know, a wealthy life. And the funny thing is money is only one of like a suite of 11, 12 personal resources. So when you learn some of those things and realise money is part but not all um, of the resources we need to thrive. It really can be an absolute game changer, I think, to the decisions we make day to day. You're so on point with that. And 
I've been trying to, particularly since I lost my mum, it's around uh, how do I want to live my life? And part of it has been that I really don't want to die at 65 if I can help it. And, you know, mum couldn't help it, but I want to make sure I put everything in place to be as fit and healthy as I can, particularly because I'm an older mum. And so for me, it's been reframing how do I want to live my life and what does success look like? And yes, part of it is financial, definitely. But it's also for me now, it's that quality time. It's the work-life balance. It's having the space to go and do my exercise when I want because I'm in a, a work environment where I can do that. And so um, for me, it's really, in a way, with my mum passing, it's liberated me to think, well, actually, how do I really want to spend the next, hopefully, 30 or 40 years? And even though money is a big driving factor, it's it's a portion of my circle that I have drawn up of the different things that equal success to me and it's yeah, all those other factors as well. That's it's amazing to hear and I think you and I have a, a very some very similar motivations there. I mean it's it's coming on it'll be 12 years this year since my um mum died and very you know similar things in terms of you know she so she died from an aggressive breast cancer. She had no other risk factors beyond her um, lifestyle factors, really. Um, and it's been really, uh, you know, having a grandparent's active and presence when you've got young kids um, is really an emotional thing, whether you have that or don't have that. Um and it's funny, Shay, because I was like, i I hate exercise. like I don't do that by choice but that motivation of wanting to be there for when my kids are adults and should they choose to have a family was a huge motivator turning 40 (laughs) was a huge motivator um and you know and having a passion in boring dancing which is my other my other business um those things actually were the motivating factor and you know I was able to lose a lot um, of weight over the last, um, 18 months. And it wasn't about the weight loss. It was all, it was at all. Um, but it was so much around those motivating factors as exactly as you say, what does success look like in that longer term? But I think had I not found a passion, um, through dance that didn't make me feel like I was exercising for starters um <laughs> and a motivation of because I was instructing I was like well even if I don't feel like it I'm getting paid to do it so I should probably turn up um, <laughs> it, it ended up being quite a magic formula <laughs> well and it's great it's a good formula I'm not getting paid to get up at six to get my run in <laughs> <laughs> but when I wake up and I think, oh my God, I don't want to do this. I know it's the only hour in the day that I actually will have to myself to be able to do something like that. But and what a good motivator. Yeah, like it is. The, 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 the serenity of, of that time to yourself, I mean, as a parent in particular, where we're constantly being pulled in so many different directions. I, I you know, even me now, the girl that hates running, I actually am almost craving what you've just described then. It's, um, it's only early days, but it was also partly, you know, getting into close to mid-40s now. And I don't want to be non-functioning in a couple of years because I've got big things to do. Exactly. I'm That's a right. leader. I'm, I'm taking over the world, so I can't <laughs> afford to be with a Zimmer frame at 55. <laughs> 
So, um, but yeah, I think sometimes great tragedies can help you reframe what you want out of life. And um, I think it's just been great to talk to you and to listen to your journey and, um, you know, the importance of we have to look after ourselves and um, how we can reframe things to to shape how we want to live the rest of our lives. Yeah. Thank you, Shay. And I think the last part of that is that really important for everyone, I think, um, just to remember like what, like we're so far, like at the end of the first year of the pandemic, we were talking about resilience fatigue um, and we're so far beyond that now. And I don't think I've spoken with anyone in the last few months who hasn't been going through significant burnout. Um, and a whole lot of lifestyle changes and so forth, which has absolutely um, been my journey too. And I just look back and feel so grateful that I was really deliberate at the start of the business of I want this to be able to run without me. And some people don't want that, and that's cool when you use different strategies. But I look back and think, you know, (laughs) I have stress-tested this CRST group in so many different ways over the last year, like you wouldn't believe. Um, and when I'm having bad days, I'd go, I've probably even tried to self-sabotage myself some pretty decent ways as well. And the business just doesn't want to stop. So I feel like I've got out of that pity party now. I've gone through some significant rest time um, and and the energy's getting high again. Um, so I think it just, again, that being gentle on ourselves and like, burnout is everywhere um and it's okay because we you don't notice burnout when it's first there but the minute you realize it's real or you've got friends or family telling you it's real you've just got to listen to that and give yourself you know just the time however you can um to enable that that healing really to be able to go again yeah and i mean and we've been talking for a little while so i know we have to wrap up for our listeners but the burnout is so important and I know through the research I've been doing with Latrobe that you know it's significant for our dyslexic community and I'm sure at, for our whole neurodivergent community um, but I can only speak on what I've done so far but the burnout is real and the mental fatigue and the um, the ex- mental exhaustion is there and so we really do need to be acknowledging that and um, putting strategies in place to to look after ourselves because the research tells us it's there. So, and we didn't need the research to tell us we needed it to tell other people because we know we're living it. But um, just another point to, to our broader discussion around business and self-care. So thank you so much, Carmel. I'd love to talk to you again about, I had a whole heap of questions around, um, you know, building your client base and growing your business. And it would be great to talk to you again about, um, about that topic at another point in time. Absolutely. would really, really love um, to do that. And I guess I'd, I'd just seed that conversation with um, it's all about relationships. And I think despite all of the fancy um, metrics and so forth that, that we can access with data these days, the, the best indicator um, of, uh, of your client base is around repeat business and word of mouth referrals. Um, and so, you know, never never underestimate um, that element um, when we've got so many different ways that tech can support us to measure things 
That is a great note to finish off on and a great topic to start on because all the coaching work that I do, it's around you know, that net, networking and relationship building. So it would be great to have you on the show again another time, Carmel, but thank you so much for today. It's been wonderful speaking to you. Thanks so much for having me, Shay. Thank you so much for listening to our show today. If you'd like more details on all the amazing work Carmel does, with CRSE Group, then you can head to our website, rethinkdyslexia.com.au. And don't forget, if there was anything that was triggering for you today, please um, do seek support and help. You can contact Lifeline on 13 11 14 or a Beyond Blue counsellor on 13 Thanks again for listening and bye for now.